0: Welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. Riverside Church is a community of believers striving side by side for the gospel in the greater New Orleans area. For more information about Riverside Church, go to riversidelife.org. Go ahead and grab our Bibles I'm turn to Ecclesiastes 8 and 9. Chapters 8 and chapters 9 is where we are this morning. I just read a portion of that. We won't read all of that scripture this morning, chapters 8 and 9, but we will do our best, Lord willing, uh, to kind of capture what what the preacher's after in Ecclesiastes chapter 8 and 9 this morning. If you've noticed anything, something I've noticed about going through Ecclesiastes is that plenty of times uh, it feels like the preacher uh, who identifies himself in Ecclesiastes, that's who we're Talking about, I'm not talking about the third, talking in the third person when I say the preacher. We're talking about the writer of Ecclesiastes. That's how he identifies himself. The preacher seems to be writing a lot of in stream of consciousness. You know what that is? Where you just kind of write your thoughts, and it kind of meanders along, and it goes back and forth through different topics. And so that's what he's been doing throughout this book. Of wisdom, And what the preacher is doing is giving us a realistic view of life under the sun. There's been plenty of times this week. We had the stomach bug run through our house this week. We're all clear now, I think. Well, I pray to God we're all clear with that because that thing was absolutely brutal. There were plenty of times when I was walking through my house this week thinking, this is Ecclesiastes. This is vanity. This is the futile life under the sun. We get that from Ecclesiastes, the pain of the existence here on this earth. So, so the preacher gives us this very realistic view of life under the sun. He, sun. he describes what we feel on a daily basis. It's a life of patterns and frustrations. It's, it's a life that often feels like it's constantly on repeat. It's a life that comes with disappointment. It's a life searching for meaning in an existence that often appears meaningless. That's one of his mantras, vanity, futileness, uh, uh, Fleeting is what he's saying, like a vapor life is. David Gibson, a book I've recommended to you several times throughout this series, Living Life Backwards, is a book he wrote on Ecclesiastes. Uh, He's a man out of Scotland. David Gibson wrote this about Ecclesiastes. He says he, he wrote this book, the preacher did, to smash into tiny pieces our idea that we can be like God. We aspire to have it all, to know it all, To do it all, achieve it all, be happy forever, have all the answers, never be left scratching our heads, and be remembered by all for all times. This is what we desire here on this earth, and it's always fleeting, it's always slipping beyond our grip. It's frustrating to us. It's like a hammer coming down upon us when we realize how little control we have over our lives under the sun. And, per, sun, and perhaps you're wondering, like me, as I've, went through the, as I've gone through this letter, it seems like this, this and, and it, it is a very realistic letter. I mean, it's not a letter, this realistic book. Where's the joy? Because I, I want to have joy in this life. Not just say, oh, this is all vain. This is... Is there joy to be had? Something we often miss in Ecclesiastes, something that I've missed even going through this, is that constantly throughout this book, as he's talking about life and the difficulty of life under the sun, he does not miss on describing the joy that we are to experience in this one and only God-given life. At least seven times he points this out in Ecclesiastes 2. You can go find it later. I won't read all of those to you. Ecclesiastes 2, three, 5, 7, 8, and 9, which we're in this morning. and Ecclesiastes chapter 11, some seven times he gives this call to us to enjoy, to enjoy your life. He says, here, go, eat your bread with joy. Enjoy the life that God has given you. So yes, yes, Ecclesiastes is telling us life as it really is. And there really is joy to be found under the sun. There really is joy this side of eternity. There really is joy in the midst of the anguish, trials, difficulties, in the midst of life on repeat. Yes, there is pain, but yes, there is joy for those who fear the Lord. For those who fear the Lord, we know we're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. We know that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So we know that there is joy to be had under the sun. Listen to what he says in Ecclesiastes 8.1. Go ahead and look there. Who is like the wise... And who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine. He's talking about joy in the Lord there, I believe. A man's, he makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. Here's what he's saying in this book of wisdom. That biblical wisdom brings personal transformation. It makes a difference in our witness, Showing people the joy of knowing Christ. Don't you want your life, your face to shine? That you know the Lord and that has changed your life and transformed you. It makes a difference, we'll see this morning in our relationships. Instead of going around grumpy all the time, which is tempting for all of us, especially in a difficult life as is described in Ecclesiastes. Instead of going around grumpy all of the time, one author says, wise people, people who fear the Lord, have an inner joy that radiates to other people. Have you ever seen this joy in an older, wiser believer? Have you seen this before? Someone who radiates with joy. That someone's a joy to be around. Someone that doesn't just profess the gospel of Jesus Christ, but you actually like to see when your phone rings and it's them on the other line. You actually like to run into them and be with them and worship with them. You like being around them because their face, their life radiates and they're shining with joy even in a difficult life under the sun. Now... Two things, two main points we're going to point out this morning. Where is joy to be found? Here's what the preacher in in chapter 8 and 9, two of the, 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 the big things, as he kind of meanders through these thoughts, where is joy to be found? Something I discovered going through this and even thought about it this morning, he describes two places where joy is to be found, where our faces can shine and radiate, where we can. Be people who show the joy of the gospel and knowing Jesus Christ and fearing the Lord in two very unlikely places. One is under authority, is under authority, under kings and rulers, that we have an opportunity to show joy in life under the sun, even joy under authority. The second big thing, there'll be subpoints under these, but the second big thing that I want to point to you out, not only do we experience joy under authority, but we in this life under the sun will experience and can experience joy in the ordinary. So those are the two things that we're going to go after this morning. The first thing is finding joy under authority. One of the most frustrating things about life under the sun is that life under the sun includes living life under authority, of living life under rulers of various kinds. Are you hearing this? This means that in the craziness of politics, has that ever embittered you and been a thief of joy? <laughs> Yes, you turn the news on and you see what rulers, you see what king you see what people are doing. And this does have a way of stealing our joy and making us bitter for the life that we live under the sun. But listen to what the preacher says. Verse 2 of chapter 8. So finding joy under authority. Stick with me here. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. You say, wait, 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 we're writing in a different time. We're talking about Solomon here. These are God's appointed kings. This is lo- It's a little bit different. Romans chapter 13. Paul brings it out in the New Testament. So don't think this is just an Old Testament thing. He says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities, resists what God has appointed and will incur judgment. Ouch. We don't like that part of Scripture. Here it is Old Testament and New Testament. So before you check that out, remember Romans 13. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the King is supreme. And who may say to him, What are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. Here's what the preacher is saying as we're finding joy under authority. In chapter 8, if you're outlining here, verses 1 through 5, the first thing that this preacher is saying, who I believe is Solomon is saying, is we are to respect authority. Authority is to be respected. He's very clear about that, that generally speaking, there is a certain respect for authority. So that's point number one. Having joy, respecting those that the Lord has put in certain positions and certain authority over you, whether that's in the home, whether that's in your job, whether that's in your country and world and whatever it might be. Now, let's be clear. This is probably the part you're really waiting for. This does not mean we do everything all the time that the government says without question. We know that, right? But we have to start there. We honor authority, we respect authority. Knowing that God is sovereign, if we 're wise, we fear the Lord, so God is up to something, so we honor and respect authority. Another truth, living life under the sun, finding joy here and now is one. We honor authority, but we also understand that authority is often abused. You're probably really ready to say amen to that. Authority is often abused; it was here, it was then. It will forever be until Jesus comes back, who is the one who all authority, who doesn't abuse his authority, but lays his life down for us and is God over everything. Verse nine. All this I observed, while applying to my heart to all that is done under the sun, when man had power over man to his hurt. And then the end of chapter nine, go ahead and look at the end of chapter nine, starting in verse thirteen. There was kind of stream of consciousness. So we're kind of jumping back and forth, but he picks that idea back up at the end of chapter 9. That's where we're taking these two chapters together. I've also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king, so one with power, one with authority, came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found, it, found in it a poor wise man. And he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. So this king comes in. It was really the poor, wise man that that had the reason that this city was saved. But forget the poor man. All glory to the king. So he abuses his power. His power. He takes what this wise, poor man is and just sweeps him under the rug and takes the glory for other people's work. You ever notice someone in power doing that? But I say that wisdom is, y'all, y'all are getting into it now do I don't like that respect authority apart, part of But I say that wisdom is better than might. Though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard, the words of the wise, heard and quiet, are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons, better than power of war. But one sinner destroys much good. So, so here's what he's saying. Authority is to be honored and respected. We start there. And then we understand that life under the sun in a sinful world means that authority will be abused. Whether it's through physical action or taking the glory of another, whatever it might be, authority is abused. And he tells us something else about authority. If we're going to wise, faith shining in life under the sun, be, to, 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 glorify this ra- to, to, to glorify the Lord, the radiance that our life shows, we honor authority, realize authority is abused, and we, 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 we see that. We recognize that. Look at verse 8. There's another thing he says about authority. No man has power to retain the spirit or power of the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. And some, here's what he's saying, that earthly authority is not ultimate. There is a limit to the power of even the most powerful kings. They don't have power over the spirit. They do not have power over the day of death. They remember that we know as wise people in life, Under the, we respect authority. Authority is abused, is abused. And now we know in our wisdom that earthly authority is not ultimate. That we fear the Lord above all things. We see this with the thief of the cross. Do you remember the thief of the cross? There were two thieves next to Jesus as he was being crucified. One of them mocked out to our Lord, but the other thief rebuked him by saying, do you not fear God? That's the mantra of wisdom, right? Fear the Lord. That's one of the mantras of Ecclesiastes. Fear the Lord. He is the one with ultimate authority. He is the one we bow down to. Then he demonstrated, said, don't you fear God? Then this thief on the cross, he demonstrated his own fear of God by asking the crucified Christ to be his savior. Jesus, he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Brothers, here's here's why I tell you this. So how, how do I recognize that Jesus is the authority above all, that God has the authority above all? This is the way for anyone to be to begin living in the fear of of the Lord is to ask Jesus to save you. That's where it begins. Submitting to his authority and bowing down and saying, you have authority, I surrender my life to you. And so before we go any further, you have to ask yourself the question, have I surrendered my life to Christ? If you haven't, you don't fear the Lord. Your face will not shine with radiance because you don't have the spirit in you. And the joy of the Lord is the fruit of the Spirit. And so you will not radiate that. You do not fear the Lord if you have not bowed down to King Jesus. The one with authority over death, the authority over your sin, the authority over death, the authority over everything, Colossians chapter 1 tells us, and authority over you. Have you surrendered to Christ? Authority is to be respected, authority is to be is abused. Earthly authority is not ultimate. Christ's authority is ultimate, so we bow down to Him. And the wise who fear the Lord, to have joy under this authority, the wise who fear the Lord know that there are times when you have to draw the line in obeying earthly authority. Look at verse 5 of chapter 8. For whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing. And the wise heart, remember, wisdom, fearing the Lord, submitting to his authority above all, fear of the Lord, we don't want to lose that. And the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. The wise will know how to do that. The only way your face shines with radiant authority, abused authority, shining with lights in this world is to bow down to Jesus and to know, according to his wisdom, when is the proper time for what? People often wonder whether this obedience has any limits. Must I always submit to governing authorities? Or there is a, or is there a time when my Christian duty says that I must not bow down? Peter gave this answer in Acts, didn't he? He says we must obey God rather than man. For he has ultimate authority. And we must obey at all times, in every way, the higher authority. Brothers and sisters, this takes wisdom. And if we do this right, we will have a different countenance about us. How we do this matters. How we shine matters of how we deal with authority. Do you pray, God, give me wisdom to deal with the authority that we are under? Or do you pray, God, give me a great meme or some snark and a really good comeback that makes everyone else feel stupid so they know how much I hate the government? Or do you pray, God give me wisdom, let me shine, let me obey the Lord before I obey man? We see this in the book of Daniel, don't we? With Daniel, you must, you must no longer pray, I'm going to keep doing it, because when the government forbids what God commands, I'm not going to bow down. And when God commands what the government forbids, I will not bow down. And if the government commands what God and if the government forbids what God commands, I will not bow down. In other words, I am going to. I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to draw the line. Daniel says, even in the lion's den, I'm drawing the line. It's for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember, they built the nine ten foot story golden image. It says you must bow down to this. When the music plays, you bow down or you're going into the fiery furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they drew the line. They did not bow down to that image. They drew the line. They respected the authority that was in place. They recognized this authority was abusing their power. They recognized that they must obey God rather than man. And God has the ultimate authority. They feared God, so wisely they stood up wisely Daniel continued to get down on his knees and wisely they followed the Lord even if it were to cost them death. This is how we shine as lights in a dark world. And and listen to the promise of this. So he goes on to say, look at verse 12. This is so key. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, uh, I've circled and underlined this verse. This this is so key. Yet I know. The preacher's been observing a lot. I see this under the sun. I see people abusing a power. I see the difficulty. I see the vanity. But now he changes this and says, but this I know. This is something Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, if you remember those stories, this is what they know. That it will be well for those who fear God. That no matter what I face, no matter what stand I must take, I know that it will be well for those who fear God, for they fear before Him. And it will not go well for the wicked. What a promise, right? That no matter what you face, no matter where you might find yourself, there is joy to be had. Here's my point. Living under authority, because no matter what stand you might take, no matter what abuse you might face, you know that if you fear the Lord, it will all be well. That brings joy. It should. That even in the furnace, I will have joy. Even in the lions, that I will have joy. For I know that all will be well. Well, so what what does it mean to fear the Lord? Let's, Let's take a sidebar and kind of go back down into that a little bit. Those who fear God, here it says in 8.12, are to fear before him. Meaning, so what does this mean? It means we always know that we are in the presence of God. Most people, I'm reading a quote here, including many Christians, go through life hardly realizing that they are constantly in the presence of God, living before the face of God. But the person who fears God knows that God is always near. He's with us when we are on our beds at night, worrying about tomorrow. He is with us when we have an opportunity for witness and are not sure what to say. He's with us when we have a sudden emergency and need supernatural help. To live a God-fearing life is to live in constant awareness of the presence of God. What does it mean to fear the Lord? To live in constant awareness of his presence. That he's with us in our bedroom, in the kitchen, in the car, on the bus, at the grocery store, at the football game. He's with us wherever we go. The proper fear of God is an important theme throughout Ecclesiastes, and particularly to having joy under authority. The preacher has told us to fear God because he is sovereign over the times of life, to also fear God when we go into worship. Later, he will tell us to fear God by keeping his commandments. But here in 8.12, he's telling us to fear God because he is near. And it will go well with us, for he will be with us and near us all the days of our life. And no authority can take that away from you. There is joy to be had with that simple proclamation, it will be well. Living under the authority of our face will shine when we live like this. Our face will shine and people will see the glory of Christ and we can witness and tell them of the difference that's made in our lives. Do you think there's joy to be had under authority? Yes. Will it be costly? Maybe. Will it be well? You know it. The Lord has promised it. There's joy to be had under the the authority of others. Second thing. We won't spend quite as long on this one. There's joy to be had in the ordinary. There's joy in the wise life. It will be well for those who fear God. And here in verse 8, verse chapter 8, verse 15, look at this. It starts to build this, this, this other thought here. And I commend joy. He commends joy. Highly he recommends. He, he proclaims joy. For man has nothing better under the sun than to eat, to drink, and be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil through the days of life that God has given him under the sun. So here's what he's saying. That one day it will be well for all of the god fears, no matter what we face here on this earth. In the meantime, the preacher has practical advice about how we ought to live. The same fear that will lead us to eternal life also helps us to enjoy the here and the now. So much so that he says, I commend Joy, and so he starts to build this thought, just like he does throughout all of the all of this book. He builds this thought again in chapter nine verses one through six we won 't read it, but let me give you what he 's going on here he 's saying that one thing is certain that death comes to all that all will die, so he says it again he 's been saying that throughout the book, and he says it again we 're all going to die someday that 's the great equalizer that 's the great hammer that's, that makes us question. What are we doing of value here on this earth? And death has a way of either depressing us or being a great teacher to us. That all depends if you fear the Lord. If you fear the one who conquered death, it's a great teacher. If you don't fear the Lord, then you will die the eternal death. So one thing is certain, we will all die. Many things are uncertain. Look what he says in chapter 9, verse 11. Now we're jumping around the text a little bit, but... You'll see where this is going. Verse 11. Again, I saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor the bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge. But time and chance happen to them all. Man does not know his time like fish that are taken in an evil net and like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of man are snared in an evil time when it suddenly falls upon him. So he's saying one thing is certain death. And now in verses 11 through 12, he's saying A lot of things in life are uncertain. That even when we live, we don't know what tomorrow is going to hold. And even the way that we think things should go is what he's saying. It never goes the way we think. This is what James, the brother of Jesus, says in James chapter 4. He says, come now, tomorrow or today we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and make a profit. Chapter 4, verse 14 of James, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You're a mist. It's vanity, it's passing is what the preacher says. It appears for a little time and vanishes, we should say, if the Lord will. So he's building this argument. He's saying, death is sure, a lot of things are uncertain, namely just about everything about our life are uncertain, but living in this uncertainty causes us to realize that life is a gift, that life is a gift, that life is all of grace. If we live tomorrow, if we, if I make it through this afternoon alive, it's a gift. If life goes, no matter, I don't, it doesn't turn out like I, it's a gift. God is sovereign. I fear him. I'm under his authority. So there's joy to be had. In your eating, in your drinking, in your social lives, in your relationships, in your work, there is joy to be had because we realize that this is a gift of God. Now, he's not saying that just do whatever. This is not some sort of hedonistic mantra. Because do you notice what he says in chapter 9, verse 7? And any time in those seven places that I told you that the preacher talks about joy, it's always included with a phrase like this. Look at verse 7. Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart for God." has already approved what you do. Of all of these passages that the preacher gives us about joy and enjoying the good things of this world, they always have God at the center. So what are you saying? We should enjoy our social lives. We should enjoy our relationships. We should enjoy our work as God's gift to us. That even in this frustrating existence, That God gives us things to enjoy with a merry heart. That life's enjoyments are not guilty pleasures, but godly pleasures. And that everything that God has given us is meant to roll up to him and saying, thank God that you've given this to me. Thank God for this day. Thank God for this breath. Thank God for this meal. Thank God for this woman. Thank God for this man. Thank God for this friend. Thank God for this relationship. Do you think your face will start to shine differently if you take that attitude, the wise attitude about this? So look what he says. In understanding that God's in control, we have joy no matter what authority we're under. In understanding that God's in control, we have joy in the ordinary scenarios of our lives. Verse seven, go, go do it. Leave this place today and go enjoy life. Smile, have a meal with somebody. Go for a walk, have a phone conversation, put a smile on your face, for this is all from the Lord. Yeah, the government's, that's okay. That doesn't, that doesn't steal your joy. They're they're all mad. Yeah, but you fear God, all will be well. He's going to judge everything. Go laugh a little bit. Go get something to eat, even if it's just ramen noodles. Smile when you eat it. Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. This is your For you fear God. All will be well. You live before him. He's with you in all those things. All the days of your vain, fleeting life that he has given you under the sun. Because this is your portion in life and your toil which you toil under the sun. Whatever you... Your hand finds to do, do it with all of your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom and shield to which you are going. So even work, I don't like my job right. Well, I like my job right now most days, but I don't say maybe think you don't like my job right now. Do it for the Lord. Do it with joy. Oftentimes we miss this, don't we? I remember um, my dad having a conversation with us before. This is not very serious, so just chill out for a second. Before Christmas one time, because we would go to my grandparents' house, and you can imagine we were the oldest grandkids. We would tear through the gifts, not even enjoy what we have because we're so worried about what was next. Do you ever do that? You rip through them, you throw them to the side, and you look like an absolutely ingrate because you're just pulling them out. Like, slow down, one at a time. And then we ask, when will I going to the next grandparents' house? There's more gifts waiting for me there. You've done that before? Stop. That's us, right? Yeah, God's giving me this rela- And we're tearing through it looking for the next thing. When's this going to pass? Stop. Go and enjoy it. Slow down a little bit. You fear the Lord. He's with you. And you're working. Stop wishing you were somewhere else. Whatever God has put before you, do it with all your mights. The fear of the Lord knows that the best is yet to come. The fear of the Lord knows that eternity is waiting. The one who fears the Lord knows, as it talks about in Hebrews chapter 11, that a better country is coming. So we set our eyes on that. The fear of the Lord knows that the taste of pleasure that we get in this one and only God-given life are hints and taste of glory. For we know that what is mortal for those who fear God will be swallowed up by life. We know that there's an eternal banquet waiting with the richest of food and the finest of wines and God will not just be near us, but he will be with us in a way unlike he is right now. And so we long for that day. We wait for that day. And we taste each gift of this life here and now as a good gift from the Lord that gives us a taste of the land of glory that is to come. Because we long for that day when love will be our portion, where joy will be our crown, and we will rest with Jesus in the heart of our God forever. And when we receive these pleasures in heaven, we will realize that we first experience them in some way, shape, or form here on earth. Brothers and sisters, are you walking in wisdom? For walking in wisdom, our faces will shine as fears of the Lord. No matter what authority you find yourself under, no matter what ordinary light look like for you, for those who fear the Lord, it will all be well. So go and enjoy your life. Let's pray.